right, well, it's good to see everybody tonight. How many remember my comment, my joke the other day about bankers? Yes. Remember that? How the, the dying guy called his banker and his, his accountant? Who didn't hear the joke? It's a few people. So they didn't know why they were summoned to their, it was actually their pastor, and he was dying, and so he, they went, and they didn't know what to, to say. They were just in there, and they went to each side of the bed, and he just laid back, and... and um, James, bring me down a touch. I'm really hot, and I don't want to hurt anybody's ears when I start preaching. Um, but he said, "Why, Pastor, we're, we're honored to be here, but why did you call us? And the pastor said, well, Jesus died between two thieves, so I thought I'd try it too. <laughs> and if you'll remember when I told the joke, I apologized to the accountants, but not to the bankers. Because <laughs> they're not my favorite. Well, yesterday I was down in... Uh, Temecula taking care of some business and uh, I got a call from Brenda, my assistant, and it was a, a high school classmate of mine and she and her husband were in the desert on business and remembered from you know, our 20th anniversary or 20th reunion in 03, so for those of you mathematicians that are going to spend the rest of the night trying to figure that out, I graduated in 83, but I was ahead of my class, I was only 10 at the time, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, now you can spend the rest of the night figuring that out, okay? Um, so anyway, uh, I got back to her, and we went out and had dinner with her and her husband last night, and um, so come to find out, and I knew she had gone to law school after high school, and I lost touch with her long ago, and we never stayed in touch, so uh, she actually owns a bank. And her husband works for her. He, w he actually was uh, working for one of the biggest banks in Memphis. And then her dad, whom, uh, you know, was a big, big guy in, in our town, uh, he owned a bank. And he always felt it was important to have a local bank for local people. And uh, so when he passed away, uh, she just felt strongly about taking over his position. And so they own a bank. So it was an interesting conversation. She goes, oh, don't, don't take that personally. I said, well, I already did, so you're a little late. I took it personally, and now I'm over it. So we, it was good. She, she actually articulated some things that no other banker had explained to us in a little bit clearer terms about the hesitancy, let's say, that banks have. But anyway, so God's got a sense of humor, right? Maybe that was his payback for my joke. I'm not sure. <coughs> But anyway, it was, uh, it was an interesting night and lovely people and love Jesus and, and all that. So um, grab your Bible. We're going to go to the book of James. And today we're in our fourth installment. We're in um, just getting into chapter two tonight. Um, you know, we've been seeing that James is really talking about the fact that our good works reflect God's favor and grace. It doesn't direct it. In other words, we don't do things to get God's favor. Uh, and you hear it a lot in preaching. You've got to be very careful, you know. And, and, and I mean, we all kind of vacillate sometimes because we're trying to reprogram a lot. But this whole notion that, you know, uh, if you keep God first place in your life. How about that one, you know. If you keep your heart pure. Um, you know, all these conditional things, and it can really 
bind you up if you're not careful and you'll get back into this old way of thinking of that you've got to perform for God. Um, what we need to do is see ourselves as children of His favor, of His grace, of His mercy, that we have that in abundance and then what that does is that drives our good works. Uh, that, that knowledge, that, that freedom, if you will, that position causes us then to express that back into the earth. And so that's really what James is saying. So remember I, I uh, shared with you what Pastor Tulian Chavidian had said. He said that Paul deconstructs the gospel and sort of shows you what it's made of, what it's all about. Um, but James assumes the gospel. He assumes you're already there with the gospel of Paul, and then he begins to uh, tell you what it does. So what the gospel does in its fruition is begin to change the world through the lives of people that have been changed. And that's a very powerful, fundamental truth that we need to understand that uh, if our communities are going to be changed, it's going to happen through us. But we're not going to do that so that God will bless us. We're going to do that because we're already blessed. Martin Luther said, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. And we know our city does and our, our communities do. And, you know, we're in the most un, underemployed, undereducated, underfunded um, part of Riverside County and one of the most underfunded, undereducated, and underemployed parts of California. Um, and so that's what, that's what we have, and that's where we're at. And so if it's going to change, it's going to take people like us that can recognize the power of the gospel, the power of God's word in the lives of people. And we also last week were discussing that if we truly have a relationship with Jesus, then we're truly going to have a relationship with his word. And if you want to know the will of God for your life, you've got to know the Word of God for your life. And I'm telling you, uh, just think back to when you met your significant other uh, and all you did was want to hear that person's words. Hello? Well, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to want to hear His Word. This isn't legalism. This isn't works. This is a desire to be intimate. This is a desire to be in relationship. Um, if you're not hungry for the Word of God, then before you leave tonight, I suggest you get introduced to Jesus. Because what happens in your life, if you're just ticking the box, which I doubt that you are because you're here on Wednesday night, but people that just sort of go through the religious gyration of trying to make God happy and assuming that they're a Christian because they're not a Muslim, uh, but they have no desire to hear God's Word, that person may well be deceived. The Bible says, and, and I believe, you're, you, hear me now, I believe in eternal security. I believe that when you're saved, you're saved forever. I believe when you're forgiven, you're forgiven forever. Jesus died once and for all, the Bible says, but you've got to first be saved. It takes faith to receive salvation. And that's not a work, that's a rest. That's accepting who Jesus is. And if you're not thirsting for His Word, or maybe you're just, uh, you know on mission drift a little bit and you've lost that excitement to hear his voice you know it's funny thing uh, the, these people we were with last night have lived in you know they've been churchgoers their entire lives and they love the lord there's no doubt but hearing me say the lord said to me really blew them away i just don't get it when you say the lord said to you he says a lot to me 
in here. He says a lot to you. You just may not recognize it. And I, I tell you what, there's probably more that I don't recognize than I do. Right? So I'm not talking about perfectionism here. Because, uh, you know, like I said before, it's not a question of are there hypocrites in church. We're all hypocrites. And you've heard me say that You've heard me say that we're not sinners saved by grace or that we, that we were sinners saved by grace, but I've said this before, that you can't be both. You're either a sinner or you're saved by grace. But, but in a real sense, we're still sinners in, in, in the sense that we do sin, right? We commit sin. The difference is we're forgiven. And so I'm, I'm, I'm less dogmatic about the syntax now because I think it's important to recognize that when we sin, we're forgiven. And that there's grace. And that without Him, like the song said tonight, we got nothing. We, we are not impressive to Him at all in ourselves. Remember, He loved us in spite of us. He made a covenant by Himself, with Himself, that would benefit us because He knew we couldn't do it. So this is not, you know, and so as we go through James, we hear this clarion call from the Spirit of God saying, hey, this is not about you. This is some, not some narcissistic self-help manual so you can get better. This is about Jesus and what He did for us. And if we would embrace what He did for us, we'd get so excited about it that we'd change the world. And that's exactly what 12 guys that weren't very impressive did. And there's more than that in here. We should be shaking the foundations of our communities with the love, the grace, and the mercy of God simply because we've been in-dumped with all of that. Isn't that exciting? I mean, it's, it's really not as heavy as I'm making it out to be, you know. So James points to this relationship with the Word that will point you into the direction of the messiness of the lives of other people. That's exactly what this does. And, you know, it's interesting that people, I think, inside and outside the church make this mistake of thinking that the more spiritual you get, the more introspective you get. The more sort of secluded you get and sort of in-focused and, and more, you know, meditative. And there's a lot in the Word about being quiet and all that, and I, I think that's good. I think I'm deficient in that area, actually. But the bottom line is, is that the gospel is not about making you more introspective. It's about making you more extrospective. In other words, what James is saying and what the Holy Spirit is leading him to say is that your problems would diminish when you get your eyes off you and get them on somebody else. That's all James is preaching. He's not preaching a doctrine of works. He's preaching the understanding of the gospel that it's not about us. That once we have received all that we have in Christ, we're free to live, we're free to give, we're free to just express then what has already been given to us. And, and there's this mistake that... That this is all about, you know, well, you know. And, and, and frankly, let me say this, and I know I'm not talking to any of you because you all signed up uh, and on Sunday. And if you didn't, you're going to come tomorrow night anyway at 6. <laughs> and by the way, the sign-ups are not just for Easter. It's for the rest of, you know, your involvement at New Creation Church. Not that it's a life sentence. You can change up here and there. You can take a break from now and, you know, now and again. 
But this is exactly why people who think they're very spiritual do not serve in the local church. Let me say that again because this is tweet worthy. People who consider themselves spiritual do not serve other people. Because, well, you know, I'm so spiritual that I've just got to sit and think and introspect and meditate. Listen, the whole gospel is to get your eyes off of you. He didn't deliver you from you to give you back to you. As we grow and mature, we will be more extroverted and not more introverted. This is about people. And so Paul, or James now, he's going to navigate us into some very treacherous waters because, again, it affects all of us. It, it indicts all of us in some degree, but thank God Jesus came because we couldn't do it perfectly, right? And so the Christianity that is so precious causes us to grow when we look to others, when we are other, others-focused. Now, in chapter 2, James is going to get into the sin of partiality, showing favoritism. And we all do this to some degree, even if it's unconsciously. Let me just ask you, what kind of people do you gravitate to? What kind of people do you hang out with? Let me say it this way. Whose calls do you take and why? And whose calls do you not take? And usually, now listen to me, there is a difference here. There is a delineation here, I believe, between the the types of relationships I think are highly important. For instance, a Paul relationship. In other words, if you're a young couple, you need to be in relationship with older couples for what they can do for you. But you'll need to offset that with some Barnabas relationships, meaning people who love you but aren't impressed by you, that'll, you know, tell you the truth about you. You need friends like that. And then you need some Timothy friendships, people you can pour your life into and your experiences. That notwithstanding, there are, is a part of us that gravitates to people that we think can put us on the map. And we gravitate away from people that we don't think can help us at all. Ouch. Amen or oh me, right? We tend, because in this, it, this is the American way, right? This is how you get somewhere. It's not what you know, it's who you know, right? So this is ingrained in us that we would play favorites, essentially. You know, that we would get connected. It's why you golf, even though you are terrible at it. Because somebody told you one time that if you, are, you golf, that you'll make connections. Jesus is finished. So you know they're going to leave here in the right frame of mind, even though, you know, maybe you think I'm being a little hard tonight. Um, I'm just being honest. And I think you can handle it. You're here on a Wednesday night, so I'm I'm assuming the gospel here, just like James did. So whose calls do you take and whose do you don't? We, we, We all are affected by this to some degree. What God wants us to do is not take everybody's call, right? There's got to be some freedom to say no. There's got to be some freedom to say not not interested. 
you know, can't make it, whatever the case may be, and not be afraid that the status thing is going to kick in and then you're going to go down the rung a time or two. It's like, oh man, you know, Pastor Amanda asked me to come in to be on the worship team and I've got something else to do, but if I say no, then I'm going to lose my position. That is not how this organization works. And if you ever think it does, you just come see me and let me know. Matter of fact, if anybody disrespects you, you just come let me know. Because we want to build a culture of love, acceptance, and encouragement, not one of judgmentalism and, and better than you and all that kind of stuff. That's a bunch of baloney, man. We are all trying to walk this out as men and women of God to the best of our ability. Thank God for Jesus. So essentially everything James is saying can be tracked back to Micah chapter 6 verse 8. Watch what the prophet says. He says, God has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before God. Now I want you to look at the linguistic formation of that sentence. And what does the Lord require of you but to do? Now listen, the way he's saying that is in such a manner, and I don't know all the English terminology here, but what is implied here is this is no big deal for you because you've already been empowered to do it. What is the requirement on you? Well, it's nothing but what you've already been capable through the blood of Jesus to do. You've already been empowered to do this, to love justice, to show mercy, to do good, those kind of things, to be humble with the Lord. And so we struggle with these things from time to time. We all do. There's no perfectionism. Remember, there's grace. But we can walk this out in a sense that we reflect these things that have already been given to us. That's why he diminishes the imperative here by talking about the requirement by saying, but to do what you've already been given into your power to do through the finished work of Jesus. So I just want to talk about these three. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What does the Lord require, require of you? See, when you're in a relationship, there are some requirements. Now understand, these requirements are not conditional on your love, your acceptance, the way He sees you, the way He operates with you, the way He blesses you. But it is required, like I said earlier, if we're going to touch our community. We ought to be in the streets. We ought to be loving people, but not out of compulsion. You understand? By love. Motivated by love. There, my daughter was at the park yesterday, I think, maybe the day before, with a friend. And some guy came up and started chit-chatting with them about something, about the kids. So my daughter suggested a Christian book to him. And so they, they stopped talking. She went back over to where her friend was. So then he comes back over and says, you mentioned the Christian author. Are you Christians? And both the girls said, yes, we are. He said, oh, so you're Christians, and you talked to me and didn't tell me about Jesus. I said, well, what you should have said, honey, was, well, you didn't tell me about Jesus. You know, my thing is, and she's like, Dad, I didn't think of it. I couldn't believe he even said it. I didn't know what to say. That's not what I'm talking about. In, in um, um, I forget the guy's name. His last name is Farley. Andrew Farley wrote a book called The Naked Gospel. And he talks about being free from this kind of bondage. And he said when he was in college and in high school, he would not go to bed any night without 
witnessing to at least one person about Jesus. He said he'd be in his bed, and remember, I didn't talk to anybody about Jesus today. He'd get, get up, get dressed, go out on the street, talk to somebody about Jesus, and then come back and go to bed at peace that God could be pleased with him. That's garbage. That's bondage. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about accepting this mission to love people. So whether you're doing it here at work, you know, whether you serve your local church once a month or four times a month, whether you talk to somebody at the bus stop about Jesus or not, you can talk to them about the Raiders coming to L.A. and the Holy Ghost will fall and you can lead them to Jesus right there. You could just rest in who you are. If you, if you will just learn how to be, the opportunities will come to you. No pressure. No, you know, I used to think, oh, Lord, I let you down. Man, my goodness, what if that guy dies? That is all my fault. I'm sorry. Give me another shot. And, of course, I'd blow that one too, right? <laughs> well, you know, I just I felt awkward because I was, you know, buying products for my wife. And I didn't them save, introducing them to Jesus. And then in the morning, um, at 7 o'clock, the bus picked us up, and we loaded up, and we, they drove us to Skid Row, and then we gave out food and clothing and prayed for those people and loved on those people for a few hours and then came home. And so we're going to do stuff like that. And you have opportunity to be part of that just because they were teenagers. How many of you know we needed a bunch of, it was Friday night in Hollywood, we needed a lot of adults. We had a few off-duty cops with guns. Uh, you know, just kind of shadowing us and things, just watching, you know, uh, which made me feel better because, you know. Uh, and so we'll do things like that. But the bottom line is all that is just a fruit of who we are when we're just being loved by the Father. He loves you, and it's not contingent upon your achievement or your failure. He loves you completely. You, you touch His heart simply by just being who you are in him. And so we see this, that the good works are his idea. You know, in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, let your light so shine among men that they would see your good works and glorify your father. Well, that tells me that our father, the relationship with the father must come first. You can't work your way into the relationship. The relationship is, is, is first and then the works are predicated on the relationship. That's the order of our father. The, the second thing he mentions there in Micah is to love mercy. To love mercy. The word in the Hebrew is hased, And it means literally, let me give you the definition here. Loving kindness, steadfast love, grace, mercy, faithfulness, goodness, and devotion. It's used 240 times in the Hebrew scriptures. And of course it's used a ton of times in Psalms. And... It is so foundational to the love of God for us. I call it, my own personal definition, is covenant love. Something that's non-negotiable, that will never change no matter what happens. Because remember, we talked on Sunday how God made a covenant with, with, uh, with Jesus, essentially, in Genesis 15. So that Abraham and now you and I benefit from that covenant. Abraham didn't do anything. God put him into a deep sleep. A place of rest. Guess where you and I are today? In a place of rest. In the finished work of Jesus. Benefiting from the covenant that God made with himself to ensure that it would never be broken. To ensure that it would never be nullified. 
And that's a powerful thing. And that word hesed is also seen here in Genesis 39, verse 21. Watch this. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him hesed, mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So here Joseph was probably thinking, you know, at some point in there, Well, wait a minute. I thought I was God's favorite. Here I am, already been to the pit got pulled out of the pit, sold into slavery, ended up at Potiphar's house, wrongly accused. So he went from the pit to Potiphar's and now into prison. And God gave him loving kindness, covenant love, mercy, grace, steadfastness in that place. Are you going through a time and a trial right now? Are you confused and perplexed that you thought if you prayed with somebody and believed scripture that it would all be taken care of before this point? If you're there, then recognize that God is the God that raises the dead. And your part is not to worry about the timetable. Your part is to rest in him, not to get up and work yourself into a frenzy trying to remember all the verses to quote and all the Bible stuff to read and th- pray three hours in the morning because if you really want to live, you're going to get up and pray. If you really want to live, you're going to get up and recite every healing scripture in the Bible. And guess what? In your mind, if you miss a day, oh my God, ah, I missed a day. I was just worn out. I just couldn't get up this morning and I don't know what happened. The baby was crying. Uh, the dog, you know, bit the cat. And the next thing you know, it's time to go to work. And now I think God's not going to move for me because I didn't move for him. How, how, how lazy, sloth, slothful of me not to get up and do all of that. Friend, we gotta get a, we've got to get a check on this. It's time we learn how to rest. And that doesn't mean do nothing. It means to rest in what he's done so that we can get our eyes off of us. This is about you resting in the promise, not earning your healing, not earning your breakthrough. And so here, here Joseph is in the midst of the prison now. He's now sliding down this scale of unanswered prayers in his mind. Anybody ever been there? So he was in the pit, believing God, confessing the word, sold to the Ishmaelites, taken down to Egypt, sold to Potiphar, wrongly accused. Potiphar gives him favor, great, then wrongly accused. Ever been there where finally the breakthrough and now the breakdown? Oh my God, I thought this was God. Why is he doing this to me? What did I do wrong? Did I forget to read this morning? Did I, you know, I've had people call me, man, you know, I'm having a terrible day at work. Please pray for me. I knew I should have read my Bible this morning. Stop. (laughs) Just stop. Slap yourself silly right now. And wake up, because that's not the God we serve. Well, guess what? This same said was then given to his brothers over in chapter 43, when the Bible says he could no longer contain himself. He began to weep over his brothers, and he began to fall on the neck of Benjamin, his mother's son, and began to cry over him. And friends, let me tell you something. We are the Benjamin generation. We are Benjamin and see we hear we see Jesus Joseph crying over him and blessing him and he tells his brother the brothers are like oh crap it's Joseph at first they're like what awesome oh wait a minute (laughs) we sold him here we're in big trouble we're in big trouble he said listen don't you think about it you didn't do this to me God did 
Because whatever you intended, God used it for me to preserve your life. So he gave loving kindness back to the very people that betrayed him. Here we see a picture of Jesus giving back to the very ones, all of us, who were sinful and, and had betrayed him, essentially. And then the first thing before that, when he saw his brother, uh, well, actually it was during this same time, when he saw his brother, he said, The Lord be graceful or merciful to you, my son. See, grace and mercy mark the church of today. We are the Benjamin generation. I've, te I've taught on that a few times, and someday I'll go back over it. But essentially, the first ten sons of Jacob represent the law, and they all come from Leah and the concubines. The moment Rachel, the woman that he really loved, had a baby, those other ten never bore another child. So the law was finished when Jesus came. And then there was another brother from the same mother named Benjamin. That's you and I. And we benefit. You know, Benjamin was given five times more food. That's a, the number of grace. He was given five times more clothing. That's the number of grace. He was given the silver cup. Silver is a type of redemption. He said, put my silver, my silver cup in the mouth of his sack. In the mouth of your bone sack, you've got the message of redemption. And that cup was empty because he had drank every drop for us. Friend, it's time that we recognize that he was able to give... The, 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 the mercy, the grace, the steadfastness of God back to the people around him because he had received it in his most trying times. Third and lastly, to walk humbly with God. To walk humbly with God. C.S. Lewis said this, You will know when you have encountered a truly humble man, not when you encounter a man who speaks less of himself, but when you encounter a man who doesn't speak of himself at all. Boy, that'd be weird to see a, a sports game and after the game where they didn't talk about themselves at all. You know what? My team did awesome. Did you see that guy over there? He played out of his mind tonight. Look at that. The center just had an incredible game. You know, I challenge. I'm, gonna, I'm, I, I'm, I'm on Twitter with uh, Fitzgerald from the Cardinals. Is he still playing football? Anybody know him? Huh? Is he still on the team? Then I'm going to tweet, tweet or him, and I'm going to say, Hey, dude, just try this after a game, and just talk about everybody but yourself. How would that be? Could we change the world a little bit? I think so. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Listen to this now, because here we have an issue with humility, or the thought of it, in the church. So humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's true humility. You can talk about humility and, 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 and talk about how, well, you know, I'm this or that and I'm not really whatever, but to, to be truly humble, you don't think of yourself too much. See, this whole thing with partiality is this. We're not partial to rich people. We're not partial to important people. We're not partial to business owners and people that we think can get us ahead in life for them. We're partial to, him, to them for us. What we can get out of it, right? It's not that we care that much about them. We care about what they could potentially do for us. What doors they might open for us. The bottom line is, if we believe, and he says it in the first verse. Let me go back to the first verse here of 
James 2, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. He didn't say the glory of the Lord. He said the Lord of the heavy, weighty presence and power and love of God. If we believe that, then we'd be set free from looking for acceptance, approval, provision, an open door from anybody but Him. See, the truth of it is, if we have the right perspective in Christ, we have acceptance, approval, righteousness, justification, rescue, redemption, provision, abundance, overflow, all the things that we think we need somebody else to do, we've already been given in Him. I'm going to tell you a quick story and we'll be done. Anybody remember Rob Spina? He was here when I was in Africa. He preached. He wrote a book called Picture Perfect. Is that it? So we spent some time with him and Tanya uh, the other night. And they're actually going to come and do our marriage, marriage weekend in August. And they are phenomenal people. And he's turned his church over about a year ago to his son. And um, he's now going all over the country preaching. So I asked him, I said, hey, are you getting all these invitations to preach through people you're in relationship with? And uh, he, said, uh, he said, no, it's, it's by this other guy. And he named his name, and I won't say it tonight. But he's a very high-profile, nationally known, internationally known preacher who, let's just say, lines up a bit different theologically than Rob does. Because Rob is a finished work grace preacher who's actually going to start, he's going to be on our board of directors starting uh, next month. And so I said, well, how did that happen? So he tells me the story, and if you, if you were here when he preached, you know the story that his daughter-in-law was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when she was pregnant with, with their first grandchild, and she refused treatment, of course. She had the baby and just went through hell for two years, and then she went home to be with Jesus. So his son was grieving and, of course, as you might imagine, just really struggling. And, and um, so he met this world-renowned preacher at an event, and the message really touched him. So he gave him uh, an expensive watch he was wearing. Just said, hey, I want to bless you with this. So the guy's like, well, who are you? you know? So they got to talking. So then one day, Rob didn't even know any of this. So then one day, he's getting ready to go preach at church on a Sunday morning. This is years ago. And this guy calls him on the phone. He says, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I just want you to know that your son is an amazing young man. And I wanted to talk to the man that raised a son that wouldn't walk away from God when all that happened to him. So they talked for about a half an hour, and he said, I want to come to your church and preach for free. And he's like, okay, cool. So he goes, man, I was tripping because I didn't want him to, like, come in with some message that was going to mess up my church, you know. But I was so honored, and he was so nice, and he said he came in and did a great job. It was a, an uplifting, powerful word. And so in between one of the services, he, they were just sitting in the, in the, the office chit-chatting, and the son comes in and says, Dad, did you tell him your story? And he said, no. And so the guy says, I want to hear it, and they're in between services. So if you'll remember Rob's story, his, he was a youth pastor or an associate pastor, and his wife ran off with the pastor. And left him and three small boys. And because they were part of a denomination then, they don't abide divorce. So they fired him. So he lost his wife, his job, his house, his car, 
all in a space of about a month, and he and three little boys lived in a garage for three years. And just powerful story. So he's, and then now fast forward, you know, 20 years. And he now has a thriving church in Monrovia. Dude is a communicator, crazy communicator. And he, through some change of, of events, he hired his wife and former pastor to work for him so that they would have a relationship with his kids and grandkids. Blew this guy away. Blew him away. He's crying, getting up to preach the next service. Can't even contain himself. So they stay in touch over the years. This has been a few years ago. So last year, about a week after he turns his church over and, and just feels impressed to do so, didn't have anything lined up, just felt like he wanted to go around and travel a little bit more and do some things. This guy calls him and said, hey, I want you to come out and be a part of my golf tournament. Well, our golf tournament is four or 500 bucks for a foursome. This guy's golf tournament is four or 5,000. He goes, man, I'd love to, but I just can't, I can't afford it. So they talked and chatted for a bit, hung up the phone. So a couple of days later, Diego Mesa calls him, who's a, got a mega church out in uh, Rancho Cucamonga, friend of ours, somebody we've known when he was in a church about this side, size. Uh, Deborah was part of that ministry for a long time. Uh, so anyway, Diego calls him and said, hey, Rob, we want to take you and Tanya up to this guy's golf tournament in another state, all expense paid, all, every meal, every golf for three days or whatever, everything. We want to pay for everything. Once she goes to go with us. So they went. He's like, man, I was having a blast. He said, nobody knew me. There's all these big hitters from all over the country, all these big-time ministries and pastors and business people. And he goes, man, I was just kind of the goofy guy there, just golfing and eating and having a good old time. Nobody knew me, you know. And so on the last day, they had three sessions, a speaker and Q&A. The very last guy, and he was some big shot, somebody said, I didn't really know who it was, but he said, he and Tanya were in this giant room full of people, and they just came in and sat in the back. They were eating a muffin and drinking coffee. And at the last Q&A, somebody stood up and said, hey, I want to know about this grace message and ask the speaker. So the, 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 the host of this whole event, he leans forward and he says, he was sitting off to the side, he said, I got this. So he said, you know, let me tell you about the grace message. He said, my hero is in this room today. And Rob said when he heard that, he like perked up. He goes, oh, this guy's hero's here. I want to see who this is, you know. <laughs> he goes, my hero is here, and he has lived this message for the world to see. Rob Spina's right back there on the back row. Rob, stand up. He said for the next 30 or 40 minutes, this man who is known all over the world and his wife who's known all over the world told his story to this room full of pastors that pastor some of the biggest churches in America and Canada and said, this man ought to be in every pulpit in America sharing that story. He said after that was over, man, he, they were covered in people. <laughs> and he's been traveling without stop this whole time. And the interesting thing, he said, here's a guy that wouldn't necessarily probably validate my message, has opened doors for me that I could never open for myself, so I could go preach my message. He said, I don't care if they invite me back or not. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just stepping through the doors and preaching what God puts on my heart. His, his life story is a story of, of unconditional love. It's his said that was given to him, steadfast love, covenant love that now he's given back. And of course, he's not perfect, but 
That's, a, that's a, an incredible story. But the whole point is this. He didn't have to open one door. He said, man, I didn't make a call. I didn't ask for nothing. I just am busy being who God called me to be. Friend, listen, because Jesus won, you're free to lose. Because he's first, you're free to be last. You don't have to work yourself to death to climb some ladder of achievement thinking God's going to love you more because he succeeded, you're free to fail. And you know, probably learn more in failure sometimes than we do in success about us and who we are. We sat with this couple last night and they, their oldest daughter's 20 and she's special needs. And like he said, I didn't know anybody that had a special needs kid. I never even thought about it, never even really knew what it was. Wouldn't be the top of my list, you know, in those days. But he said, it has made us today who we are. And she is a delight. You know, she's on the, the cover of a special needs magazine in Memphis. You know, just this big thing happening. And they're involved in ministry that has to do with special needs. And they, this is what he said, you know, from one banker to the pastor, right? <laughs> he said, if I could give you one bit of advice, start a special needs ministry. And something leaped in my spirit. He said, if you, he said, if you will start that, people will find you, seek you out, come from all over. And why not? Why not? People say, man, aren't you doing too much? I'm not doing much at all. I'm just lighting a fire under people that have a passion. I just sit back and get to watch it. I'm not moving to L.A. I like Beaumont, but he is. He's going. I get to, I get to shout for him. That's what this is about, you know, and that's, uh, so we don't have to do it all is what I'm trying to say. We can rest and we can be humble and we don't have to be our biggest cheerleader. In fact, we never even have to talk about ourselves because if we truly believe that we're God's favorite and we do, he's going to promote us. You know, we've, we, we're having people show up saying, hey, listen, we heard about you from this person, from that person or whatever, just the most unlikely places and we wanted to come and just see what this is all about. And that has nothing to do with us. And you know, it's humbling to be part of a movement like this. You guys are, 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 are unique. And you're peculiar. Kind of strange. But, but don't you know that through our difference, we can change the world? The fact that we're not like everything else. You know, when, when, when I see these, these groups of... of, of I, I don't know how to say it without being disrespectful, but just these things that are happening in the body of Christ today. And, and, I, and whenever I feel my flesh thinking, oh man, wouldn't it be nice to be, you know, like Brian Houston, I, I love Brian Houston, and so there was a, some things on uh, Twitter or Instagram of just a few people sitting in a room with Brian Houston. And I thought, my flesh is like, man, that'd be awesome to, to be able to be in that room with Brian Houston. And then the Lord said, well, you you're in a room with me right now. That's not too shabby, is it? And then I just had this thought that instead of thinking like that, I just want to go talk to somebody in my town that has no teeth. Does that make sense? Somebody that can't do nothing for me. I want to be that guy instead. I don't want to be somebody that's chasing some title, some name. And I can tell you that part of the transition for me and, and I'm just going to be 
honest. Is that okay if, I, if I'm honest? Part of my frustration with not getting this church is I realized through this process that I had attached some of my own personal worth as a pastor on whether I could get a church built or not. That's right. And I've let that go for the most part. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think, like I said before, I think we need a bigger space for all of us because we want to reach our city. But I've divorced myself to believe that that has anything to do with me. It doesn't. It's got nothing to do with you. So if we trust God that he's the provider, because, you know, my friend, she said, well, just do a capital campaign. You know, in my, in my mind, because I did a capital, capital campaign at The Rock. We raised over $5 million, and by the time that was over, it was, you know, a $30 million project pretty much, over $20 million for sure, the first phase of it. Um, and I'm thinking, yeah, man, we're just going to do another campaign. And then I was driving away and said, I'm not doing another campaign. I'm just not, man. I'm trusting God. And that doesn't mean there's going to be a St. Bernard walk in here with a sack full of money. It doesn't mean that you've got to go buy lottery tickets, even though if you do, you know, that's fine too. <laughs> oh, yeah. But what it means is this, is that God's our provider. And if we just practice being and being comfortable in our own skin, you know, I, you know, I go to these conferences and, and the people put pastor whatever, you know, and I just always put my name. I just always put Ken. And it's so funny to see the pastors walk past me to get to somebody that's got pastor on their shirt, you know. And I'm like, cool, this is a great way not to have to talk to any of these jerky people. <laughs> So anyway, before I digress the rest of the night, I'm already over. Let me show you just a couple of things that are happening at the Beaumont campus. Remember, on Easter, we're going to do an 11 o'clock live stream cafe style. The cafe is not set up yet. We ordered the tables. Actually, we picked the tables up tomorrow. So the next update you see will be all the cafe effect in the back of the room and everything. Uh, but if you've ever been over to that church, you know that walking in the door was kind of like going into a time warp back to the 1970s or whatever to your grandmother's church. So take a look here uh, at what's happening over in Beaumont. 